Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that You would speak Your Word to us. That we would hear Your Word. That we would follow Your Word. That this would bear fruit in our lives to Your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Please be seated. Now, if we are honest, many preachers find this topic of Jesus' teachings to be difficult. Many of us who listen find it challenging to hear as well, so let's just name that up front. But we submit ourselves to God and what He tells us is important. And what many people discover is that the more we submit ourselves to God, the less difficult and even the more joyful this topic becomes. Today, Jesus continues to talk about a subject that we in our culture are told we're not supposed to talk about it. Money, possessions, giving. And the fact is that Jesus teaches more about money than any other subject other than the broad category, the kingdom of God. I could not possibly teach about money as often as Jesus did because we wouldn't have a church left. But we submit to him and look together at what he says is important for us. And so in obedience to him, we can certainly handle another one of his teachings on a topic that, well, frankly, may not be our favorite, but he says is incredibly important to us. So with that, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, which is page 871, if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles in front of you. Luke chapter 12, read this morning. And so in this passage in Luke 12, um, even the part beginning in verse 35 where it says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, be ready for when the Master returns, Even that part of our reading, within the larger context of Luke 12, we see that even that part is still actually about giving and possessions and money. And so if you were to look at at the page and you just started at the heading at verse 35, you might think that Jesus had now changed subjects, but he hasn't. He's actually still teaching about money and possessions and giving. Back in verse 15, he says, uh, be on guard against covetousness. He's talking about this subject. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. In our reading today, in verse 33, he talks about selling your possessions and giving to the needy. And then if you look ahead, just a couple verses later, in verses 42 to 44, he's right back to talking about possessions again. He really hasn't changed the subject. And so, when he says in our reading today that the good servant needs to be found ready when the master comes, ready, in this case, is primarily about using our possessions well. When God comes, when Jesus returns, will he find us ready? Giving as he calls us to, using our money and possessions for others. Will he find us ready when he returns? Will he find us faithful with that which he has entrusted to us? Or will he find us unfaithful, putting off 
the call to generosity and investing in ourselves instead. Be ready in our passage today is primarily about using our money and possessions as God calls us. Faithfully giving sacrificially to God, to His church, and to those in need. So when Jesus comes, He might find us faithful, that we are ready. And then we have this verse in uh, verse 34. He says right in the middle of our reading for today, For where your treasure is, that is, where you put your money, there will your heart be also. Now, by extension, we could apply that to anything we treasure. Family, career, popularity, even ministry itself. But what Jesus is specifically talking about is our physical treasure, our money, our possessions. Where we focus and invest and store our money, there our heart will be also, he says. And so before highlighting two key principles that we'll see in this passage about giving and using our possessions that God has entrusted to us. Before we get to that, I want to very briefly address four concerns that I know we have. And I know we have them because just two weeks ago we looked at something else Jesus has to say about this. And since then, I have heard all four of these come up in honest conversations with people in the congregation, but also outside the church. I've heard all four of these come up in one way or another in the last two weeks. Now, my issue with the first two is very lovingly, but my issue with the first two is that they are simply inaccurate. And the second two, I think, are real, but I also know that God wants to meet us in those places. So four concerns about giving, about tithing, and then two key principles that we see in this passage. So the first concern that I've heard, and I hear this a lot, the first concern that I've heard is, goes like this. The New Testament doesn't actually say, I have to tithe. Tithing, giving 10% of our income back to the Lord, tithing is something from the Old Testament, and we're not bound by the Old Testament law anymore. Now, just to be very clear, I actually completely agree that we are not under the Old Testament law. I think that needs to be nuanced a bit, but Jesus came very clearly. We are told we are not under the New Testament law in that way. And so saying something like, Deuteronomy says so is actually not a good reason for expecting Christians to do something. But we do see in the Old Testament Abraham tithing to Melchizedek even before the law was even given. So the practice of tithing actually predates the law, and so it has priority over the law, and it predates when God gave us the law. But in my view, even more important than what we might see in the Old Testament, for example, in Genesis, is this passage in Luke 11, just one chapter before what we're looking at today. Jesus says in verse 42, chapter 11, verse 42, it's probably just on the facing page of what you're looking at right now. Verse 42, Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, I mean, they would literally go sort of ten seeds for me, one for God. Ten seeds for me, one for God. Okay? You're tithing every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. 
And so what he says is, you're tithing, you're giving 10% of your income, you're tithing, but you're neglecting the more important things, like justice and loving God. You should have done both, he says. So Jesus himself is actually upholding the biblical call for us to tithe. I also just want to point out that we regularly see Jesus ratcheting up God's call on his people. So, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, the Old Testament says don't murder, but I say don't even harbor anger in your heart. He says in the Old Testament it says don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't even look lustfully. It is hard for me to imagine that he then says... The Old Testament says give a minimum of 10% of your income, and actually certain years you're actually supposed to give more than that. But the Old Testament says you're supposed to give 10% of your income as a minimum back to God. But you know what? Inflation's tough. Home prices have gone up. Cell phone plans are expensive. Let's just ease up on that tithing thing. I don't think that fits. But I will say if someone insists on trying to find another New Testament standard to use instead of the tithe which we are given. Uh, The only other two New Testament examples that I can find of concrete standards is Zacchaeus who gives 50% and the rich young ruler is told to sell 100%. So I'm sure if you would prefer one of those standards, that would be fine as well. But we do see in the New Testament that tithing, 10%, is viewed as the standard Christian giving. That's the first concern that I've heard. The second concern is that Paul says in the New Testament, only to give if you can do so joyfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, up on the screen, says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now on this one, context is key. As with everything, context is key. And two pieces of context that I think are especially helpful for understanding this, because this is probably the single most common thing I hear about giving, is they say, but Paul says, don't give if it's not joyful. Don't give under compulsion. Give whatever God's laid on your heart. So two parts of that. One is that Paul's talking about heart motivation, not amount. His point is that we need to learn to give joyfully and not just under compulsion. He's not saying, if you have a bad attitude, you don't need to be generous. Rather, he's saying, look to Christ and how generous Christ has been with you, and by God's grace, learn to follow his example and give generously and cheerfully. It's about the attitude not the amount. But the second part of the context that I think is especially important is that the gift he's talking about, if you read all of chapter 9, the gift that he's talking about is sort of an above and beyond gift. This is a special gift that he's going to take from them to Jerusalem. This is not instructions on what we would consider sort of weekly giving and generosity to the local church and to the local community. This is, if you will, a special missionary offering. And so his words, give as you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, I think that verse would be the perfect verse for a building campaign. 
sort of an optional above and beyond gift. Or that verse would be perfect for giving to a visiting missionary or helping a local organization. Not under compulsion, but cheerfully, from your heart, whatever God lays on your heart to give. He's just not talking about the regular practice of faithful generosity week in and week out. And so applying that verse to our sort of normal giving is actually applying it to something Paul is not talking about. And so I would suggest that those first two concerns about giving, specifically about tithing, those first two concerns are inaccurate. But I know that if those really are the problem, I think we can get past them. But I think the next two are really getting at the heart of the matter. The next two concerns, the the third concern that I've heard is just very honest. I'm scared that if I tithe, I won't have enough. And that's honest. And that is actually specifically what Jesus is talking about in verses 22 to 31. He's saying that we need to learn to trust in Jesus to take care of us. And giving sacrificially, tithing faithfully, giving generously to those in need causes us to rely more and more on Jesus. Jesus encourages us in this passage to look at flowers and birds see, and see the way that they don't work jobs like we do, and yet God provides for them. How much more does He want to provide for His children? Give generously so that we actually then can learn to trust in God to provide for us. And lastly, I think a very honest a very honest concern is just in one form or another we simply say I don't want to. I would suggest then that our definition of the good life is very different than God's. This then reveals where our treasure truly lies. Jesus isn't completely our treasure. Where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And so if we hold on to our treasure because we do not want to follow God's call to generosity, then our heart stays farther from God than it should. And so when we realize that as Christians we are called to significant generosity, sacrificial giving, the Bible points to 10% of our income as the minimum to help guide us, then we can see two principles here in Jesus' teaching about giving. And you'll notice that the principles we're just about to see here, you'll notice this is not about giving because God needs your money. There is absolutely no indication here that God is somehow short on cash and He needs us to step up. But you'll notice that these principles that we see are about our heart. Not about a church budget. That is not what this is about. Jesus says this is about your heart. And my heart. So two principles we see. The first is, giving reveals the heart. Giving reveals the heart. Verse 34. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so we can actually begin to identify where our heart is by looking at where our treasure is. 
Now, some of us will want to spend more on comfort, some more on education, some on golf, some on our family. And none of those are inherently wrong. Others don't want to spend. We use money as a sense of security. If I save enough, if I hold on to enough, then I'm safe and secure. And saving is not wrong either. But if we put our money towards ourselves or towards comfort or education, if we put our money even towards good things instead of towards the things of God, then we're displaying a misguided heart. Now maybe you're here and you don't have money to do any of those things. But we still often feel incomplete if we can't go on nice vacations or save for our comfort or something like that. And even if we can't, but we find in ourselves deeply longing for those things, then it shows that our treasure, even if we don't have them, our treasure is still in those things. They've captured our heart. And so you and I need to honestly evaluate where our treasure, where our money and our stuff is. And that will help us identify where our heart truly is. Because giving reveals the heart. Second, giving shapes the heart. Reveals our heart, but it also shapes our heart. Again, verse 34, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You and I can actually begin to shift our heart's longings by redirecting our spending and our giving. In so many ways, our hearts follow our wallets. And we are shaped by the way we spend and by the way we give, whether for good or for ill. See, giving makes you more like Jesus, who gave all for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, just one chapter before what I read already. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, though He's God incarnate, he, the owner of everything, the creator of all, though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. Jesus gave all for us. He wasn't stingy with His blood poured out for us on the cross. He wasn't miserly with the incarnation when He left the glory of heaven to be born into a poor family and to live and die and rise again for you and for me. Giving generously makes us more like Jesus who treasures us above all and gave all for us. I got these numbers from someone recently. He had done some studies on some of the what we would consider sort of major uh, words of the Bible, major Bible words. And he'd done some more in-depth study of what's being talked about in all the various different passages. But I just want to give you some numbers. He said that the word believe, that's a fairly important Bible word, the word believe is used 272 times. In the Bible, pray. That's a rather important one. Pray is used 371 times. Love, 714 times. Give, 2,152. Why is it used so much more than all the others? Because God 
is a giver. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God is the ultimate generous giver. And all we have and all that we are is a gift from Him. And ultimately, His self-gift of His Son for us and for our salvation is the full expression of His generosity to us. To us who don't deserve it, who did not earn it. And He displays His great love for us in this, that He sent His Son into the world to die on the cross in our place, to take our sin upon Himself and to give us, to clothe us with the righteousness of Jesus. Because God, is the ultimate giver. And so every time you and I give, every time we say no to something for ourselves and give away our money to someone else who is in need, every time you and I give to God and to His church instead of just saving or just spending for ourselves, every time we do that, we are becoming more like Jesus who gave everything for us. And every time we choose not to be generous, when we say that we won't give as God calls us to, then we choose to become less like Jesus. We choose to pull our hearts in other directions instead of towards our Heavenly Father, the Father who treasures us above all and who tells us that where our treasure is there, our heart will be also. So friends, you and I are called to give generously to the Lord, to the local church, and to those in need around us. We are given the tithe, 10% of our income back to God, as that basic minimum standard, not as a legalistic law, but as a minimum standard to help show us where we are. And we need to recognize that our giving reveals, shows our hearts. And how how generous we are in relation to God's astounding generosity to us, our giving reveals to us where our heart truly lies. We realize that one of the tools in God's toolbox is, in fact, our money. A tool that can be used to shape our hearts to be more like Him, or one that we can use to pull ourselves farther away. And we are changed. Our hearts are transformed as we generously give to the Lord in response to His immense generosity to us. To God, the ultimate generous giver who has poured out His blessing upon us, knowing that we become more and more and more like Jesus as we faithfully give generously as He has generously given to us, as we treasure Him above all as He has treasured us. Jesus says, Fear not. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Stay dressed, ready for action. Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming. Amen.